it's the you know it's the you know remember that classic Seinfeld episode right you know it's yeah. not just taking the reservation it's actually building <laughs> the reservation. Hello and welcome to episode fifty of Rockstar CMO FMM is for marketing and the F. It's so well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, editor of Rockstar CMO, your hit of marketing street knowledge. And you can find us at rockstarcmo.com and at Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn and Twitter. And this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to catch up with friends, marketers, writers and CMOs that make up our community. This episode was recorded on Friday the 19th of February and I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This is our 50th episode, traditionally the golden anniversary, so we're going to find out if all that glitters is gold with Rockstar CMO advisor Jeff Clark as we discuss if a marketing trend or technique is a one-hit wonder or wonderful. In the interview segment, we discuss the marketing Midas touch with Leo Franks, marketing and business development leader in the legal and professional services industry. And finally, I think we can all agree that Robert Rose provides the gilding on this show in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Right, enough of that. Let's go for gold and get started, shall we? On to our first segment. We marketers love to be down with the cool kids dancing to the latest sound, but will that tune stand the test of time? Each week, my chum, Jeff Clark, Rockstar CMO advisor and former Serious Decisions Forrester Research Director, joins me in deciding if that marketing tune, topic, technique or trend that everyone is talking about is a one-hit wonder or wonderful. Let's find out what's hot or not this week. Welcome back, Jeff, to One Hit Wonder or Wonderwall on Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? Great. Looking at it, it's a beautiful snow falling in our backyard on a February day. Is it? Is it still beautiful after all these months, Jeff? Yes. Be honest. Yeah. No. I. I mean, I like. I. I, I like snow. I, I grew. I grew uh, up in uh, one of my places. I grew up was Buffalo, New York, which was just like. Yes. Tons of snow and snow and snow. And I was like, this is the best. So <laughs> I still have that attitude. I just, I mean, I was talking about this last, was it the other week with Caffeine McKnight? And it was, um, it was that when we were living in Connecticut and we had one of those snow, that one of those, those really big snowstorms that came and stayed for ages. And then you can't leave the house without boots. And yeah. at the beginning, even with the kids at the beginning, the snow was a joy. And then as it continued, everybody got a bit bored with it, but I'm glad <laughs> that you love it. So that's nice. I've got this, Im- this snow globe type image and, and that's you, exactly um, what it looks like it's coming down like, a, like in a snow globe. Oh, that's beautiful. Anyway, um, back to the topic at hand. Um, so recently, 
we have i'm gonna put that pen down otherwise i'll be clicking it and that'll annoy the listeners um <clears throat> recently we've been taught we've we've covered some of the seminal changes uh in marketing we've talked about digital and agile and things like that and we've grooved away to a bit of bob marley so we haven't really been doing one hit wonder or wonder war um and one of, one of the things that keeps popping up in my feed that I think a lot of people are pretty, pretty passionate about, maybe I'd like to know which way you swing on this one, is account-based <laughs> marketing. Is it is account-based marketing uh, one hit wonder or wonder all? I know a lot of people seem to think it's some seminal movement and we'll pay some more Bob Marley. So there's, there's now three options, but... Um, yes. What's, <laughs> what's, what's, I mean, what's your view? Well... So, um, so a couple things. When it, I mean, when when it first got going, uh, uh-huh. and of course, everyone you know starts talking about the acronym because it's got to have an acronym or it's not it's not a trend yeah. or whatever. An ABM. And my first thought was ABM. Okay, that's anti ballistic missiles. <laughs> oh no, no. Um, oh, this is a different ABM. So, uh-huh. um, so my first thought was was just. So how is this different from marketing? And I know I'm going to um, probably piss off a lot of ex-colleagues because I have a lot of <laughs> ABM ex-colleagues out there, or maybe they, maybe they, maybe they thought I was a colleague and now they're like, "You're off my list." Um, <laughs> it's kind of the role of the show. <laughs> it is the role. It is the role of the show. That's right. If we're not taking somebody off, yeah. we're not doing our job. Um, so my first thought was. Um, was that okay? So how is this really different from just just marketing? And you know, mm-hmm. we always got to go back to like just foundational concepts. So business to business marketing, as opposed to consumer marketing, is mm-hmm. I'm marketing to an account because it, it's a you know it's a group of buyers that work in a company, yeah. and both the company is the prospect, mm-hmm. and the company is also um, the the vendor. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's like in B two B marketing, you buy from companies. Uh, as opposed to individual products, and, and we yeah. that that gets us down some rat holes. But but you know, so I'm I was I was really struggling with this concept as being something new because that is the way B two B marketing and selling has always yeah. been two yeah. accounts. Yeah. And when I was um, when I was at uh, Days at Progress, uh, I was put in charge of a group that was focused on. Um, marketing to a target account segment. And we had five people in my marketing group and they're all, all really smart. One guy was a really mm-hmm. great marketing strategist. We had a, a couple of people from um, the Netherlands that were on, it was like a European and US team. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and actually one of those people, Monique Bruins is still at progress today doing something different. Um, but but, you know, we sat down and we all agreed that it's like, well, if we've got 300 accounts across, uh, I think it was five different territories, one U.S., four in Europe, um, it's just a different style of marketing to them. You know, we're not going to do broad-based advertising. We're not going to, you know, um, and we're trying to deal with executives. So email campaigns aren't going to work. And mm-hmm. so so we we basically boiled things down to, you know, like five different tactics that 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 we thought would be appropriate and a lot of the tactics and actually some of the salespeople pushed back in this because a lot of some of the tactics were really account research you know mm-hmm. buyer buyer mapping yeah uh, and then extremely targeted uh direct marketing and then um relationship events i mean that that kind of that was 
the portfolio of activities. And so yeah. that meant there was a ton of stuff that the other teams that were focused on partners or broader base end users were um, just, they were very different, but it was, it was appropriate. So you always have to yeah. say there's certain styles of marketing that are appropriate to certain selling dynamics and buying yeah. dynamics. And, and so when ABM came up, so which was, would have been, I don't know, six, six, seven years later, it was mm -hmm. like, well, I did that before, yeah, but we didn't yeah. call it account-based marketing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it isn't really, you know, as a concept, it's not really new. And, and and if you again, if you think about the fact that you're always marketing and selling to accounts, then what yeah. happened that would make ABM feel something like something new? And what happened? What happened? And this is my so personal yeah. opinion from years, decades of experience is that what happened is that we got enthralled with the linear lead funnel you know, process, mm, mm -hmm. you know, you've, you've, you've got some target audience yeah. out there and yeah. then you, you engage yeah. them and you start taking them down through yeah. there, you know, they're, uh, uh, they're, uh, an inquiry. Now they're a qualified yeah. lead. Now they're mm. a sales qualified lead, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, and I think that that as helpful as that might have been at, at a time, I mean, it's certainly there are certain types of products, particularly if you're marketing to developers or whatever, where that process probably works perfectly. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're in, in, you know, uh, again, you're selling to multiple buyers mm -hmm. um, and you've got sales and marketing needing to work together. Yeah. You really should be thinking about the various ways you're doing account based marketing and, yeah. and you should be thinking about the funnel. Not yeah. in, a, in a as a linear process, but as, as a set of either, either parallel processes yeah. Um, yeah. by which sales and marketing are engaging, you know, a prospect or an existing customer that you're trying to, you know, upsell and cross sell in. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what um, what really got this to catch on was the technology that was coming out. So the technology yeah. that was enabling people to, um, you know, identify this, you know, one of the other topics we'll probably talk about is retargeting. So, you know, yeah, yeah. looking at traffic by accounts, yeah. intent monitoring, yeah. uh, journey, you know, all of these things, which now all of a sudden we can look at an account level, yeah. uh, actually, in you know, enhancements in Salesforce and some of the CRM systems so yeah. that they can, they can, capture activity by account and attached opportunities easier than it was in the past because they right. all set up based on a very linear process yeah. of interaction through lead through opportunity to close. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I sense you've really thought about this one, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I mean, I, I have to, I, when I was listening to that, I was thinking about, um, because it's interesting that you connected technology with both of these things is that it seems to me from what you were saying is is ABM is just good B2B marketing practice, right? So if you're a B2B marketer, then you are by nature doing ABM or or you're doing it wrong, right? And right. that when you talk about the lead flow like that, I think that marketing technologies encouraged us as marketers to to sort of maybe forget a little bit about the basics of B2B marketing and then get ourselves into these funnels and oh, yeah. the and and the 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 um marketing automation and drive that through. And then I think what you were suggesting there is that then people came along and I I I I'm slightly cynical of some of these things. I think people create a practice 
that they can then be an expert on and sell their services on. I'm a little and write their book on it and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and you. So I'm a little bit cynical about some of those things, probably just because I haven't found my own. But the other one is, oh, but you're, the, a, um, you're the content marketing expert. So <laughs> yeah, but, that's another trend we should talk about. Somebody already invented that. But the thing that, but the, the other point is that you're saying that now the technology has evolved to be more sophisticated in the way that we target people. That actually the technology is now caught up. And is encouraging marketers to do ABM, but weirdly enough, everybody thinks it's a brand new thing. Did I summarize yeah. that correctly? Yes, I think I think you got <laughs> that that right. I, I think that the um, uh, technology um, it sometimes uh, models bad behavior, yeah. and 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 maybe it models the bad behavior because that's the most expedient way to get people to adopt something. I mean, even think mm-hmm. the, another example is is in, in CRM systems and in market automation, you know, a campaign is an individual tactic. It's not a, it's not a, yeah. you, know, you think about advertising, you think about a big campaign and there's yeah. multi-dimensions to how you interact yeah. with clients, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, all yeah. of a sudden now a campaign is just, the email that went out. And yeah. Um, yeah. so it, just another example of how technology can, um, can sort of pick up on bad, be- bad behavior or inf- reinforce bad behavior. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I worked for an organization that, that kind of created the AQL to MQL to, mm-hmm. you know, the whole, mm-hmm. that whole funnel model. Um, but it was um, a couple of years ago that when looking at, 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 at taking the next look at that, at, you know, what, what's the demand model look like? They came up yeah. with the idea that it's like, oh, gosh, we surely should be thinking about <laughs> all the interaction with an account and not, and not, you know, what are all these problems yeah. of, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, a second lead comes in and nobody does anything with about it because it already yeah. exists. It's like, yeah, but that's an important piece of information. How yeah. do we tech, you know, in sales talks to somebody yeah and 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 but we don't capture it so how do we how do we take care yeah, of we're getting back to attribution again aren't we i mean the, the thing yeah. is is if you if you make these simple models and these simple customer journeys and you assume you're selling to one person attribution all that kind of stuff kind of flows but yeah when you're when you're selling to this crowd and they're all at different points in the customer journey and then some of them actually don't care about every point in the customer journey and some yeah. of them can only say no and some of them are the saying yes some of them have the budget some of them influence the person with the budget it's a yeah. sophisticated business right so um but they but i'm left conflicted by what you're saying because aside from the fact that i definitely got um the the the, the thought there that you invented abm by doing it six or seven years before it got, <laughs> got coined um but it sounds to me like it's just standard b2b practice are you telling are you saying to me it's a one hit wonder or are you saying it's wonderful or is it one of those things I that's think, in between i think i think it's a it's a one hit wonder um mm-hmm. and 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 I, I was thinking you know back to one of the other you know trends seminal trends we talked about a couple weeks yeah. ago, which digital marketing. And, and so digital marketing was um, where, um, you know, a whole new set of tools allows yeah. us to do something very different than we did in the past. Yeah. And, and when the, the ABM vendors, of course, this is one yeah. of the things always bristled about was the fact that it's like, well, what's an ABM vendor? Because there's so many different aspects. <laughs> to this. But when, when technology vendors jumped on the ABM bandwagon um in most respects they were they were enabling us to do things that we did before Mm -hmm. 
just enabled in technology and, and correcting some of the mistakes that technology yes. had had uh, you know again leading us to to do bad 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 practices yeah. reinforcing bad practices so um so it's and again it's not to say that what any of these companies were offering was bad because what they actually were offering was good but it was it was it really wasn't you know as a as a um, marketing strategy account based marketing is marketing in the yeah. B2B world yeah true um and that's and and we said that personalization was seminal but that's because it you know it changed you know digital was part of that change wasn't it the way that we can address people um and but uh, do we do you consider then it to be more of a skill if you're a b2b marketer then you need to understand the principles of abm yes it's just that we wouldn't put that moniker on it it's just b2b marketing yes Exactly. So do you think it's- and, I, and, and well, and again, I think, you know, as, as, as marketers went from, so, uh, you know, uh, a shorthand for transition, marketing was mostly about brand in the yeah. 60s and 70s. Marketing yeah. moves in the 80s and says, okay, we've got to have a responsibility for generating revenue. So now we're going to yeah. create this lead model because we yeah. are, are con- contributors to the revenue of the organization which is, yeah. which is true, but I think the model led us down some bad paths. So now we're, we're back to saying, well, really, we, we should be marketing to accounts, but as opposed to marketing, just being involved in the brand aspect of it, we're involved yeah. in the interactions and engagement with our prospects and customers, not just, the, um, not just generating leads and not just brand, but we can do it in a way uh, that is aligned with sales. That's mm-hmm. the other key thing. I think that that's a good thing that came out of mm-hmm. the talk about ABM. The part of it is the technology. Part of it is just the fact that marketing and sales need to be aligned and how they're Absolutely. going after the market, which is what, yeah. again, my experience from back in 2014 was just that is like, yeah. get together with the sales leaders and say, well, what can yeah. we do to help you? Yeah. And come yeah. To an agreement? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board that it's a, that it's a one-hit wonder, which which leads us to the musical choice for this week, Jeff. And I, I'm I'm sensing that you are ready for this moment, and that you've done some research <laughs> into this. As well. where, where, where are you going with the music for this week? Well, I was thinking of um, "Tainted Love" uh, by <laughs> um, Soft Cell, 1981, yeah. <laughs> as a matter of fact, and. Um, <laughs> You know, yeah. as as most one hit wonders, it's a it's a fine piece of music. It mm-hmm. actually was popular. Actually, somebody else tried to uh, release it as a single, I think, a decade earlier, and it didn't yeah. go anywhere. Yeah. Um, but just the idea of tainted love—it's kind of like you fall in love with a trend, yeah, and then you realize it just wasn't what, <laughs> or actually, you realize it was not as different. You know, now you're six, seven years into the into the relationship, and you realize, yeah. oh, you know. <laughs> What was I thinking? What was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an excellent choice. I also think it's an excellent choice for a slightly that, that people would debate whether um, whether ABM is a one hit wonder or not. Because in the UK, there would definitely be a debate about whether Soft Cell were a one hit wonder band. Because I think they had five, probably four or five hits in the top ten over here. So I think that that, that is a very very suitable choice, Jeff, for this particular because topic. Because it might be debatable. And, and people I, and could I, comment when, when we post when you post yeah, this. I mean people yeah. we should have people comment and say, Yeah, 
You guys are so good. Soft sell was yeah. much better than a one hit wonder. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, actually, actually, yeah, probably get more. It will probably get more um, feedback when we accuse soft sell of being one hit wonder. Hopefully, than we. <laughs> who cares about ABM? Well, we may find out about who cares about ABM, but uh, that uh, that is excellent. Thank you, Jeff. So ABM is a one hit wonder, and uh, will you return next week for the same slot, Jeff? Same. Time, same station. Same time, same place. All right, see you later. Start CMO FM. (laughs) See you next week. Thank you, Jeff. So, account-based marketing, not a wonderful, just good B2B marketing practice to the sounds of soft sell and tainted love, which, like the topic this week, you can debate whether it's a one-hit wonder or not. Do please get in touch and let us know what you think. On to this week's guest. Lior Franks is the Director of Marketing and Business Development and a board member at London-based international law firm Kingsley Napley. He is a specialist in the professional services industry with over 20 years marketing communications and BD experience. He was previously Chief Marketing Officer at legal services firm Augusta, Managing Director of Marketing Communications at FTI Consulting and in Marketing and BD Director roles at Deloitte and Ernst & Young. Leo chairs the Marketing and Strategy Committee at the Industry Body Managing Partners Forum and a board member of the Business School at Queen Mary University of London. And now he's on Rockstar CMO FM. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi Leo, welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? Very well Ian, great to be here. How are you? Ah, it's great. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me. I know you're a very busy chap. Um, I've done a little intro before we started, but tell us a bit about your current role, Neil. Well, thanks very much, Ian. So I'm Director of Marketing and Business Development at the London-based international law firm Kingsley Napley, mm-hmm. uh, who I joined six weeks ago. So I'm very <laughs> new in. Um, I'm a member of the board there, and I look after all of the go-to-market functions, communications, business development, marketing, and knowledge and really, my focus is on growth, helping to empower our partners to go out and win in the market across all parts of the firm. And that's particularly important at Kingsley Napoli because we have a number of very, very strong market leading practices that, that are the heritage of the firm. We also have a number of great practices that are slightly earlier in their stage of development. So mm-hmm. I need to not only help sustain those established mature practices, but also really empower the growth of those earlier stage practices. So look, in my first six weeks, I've really been focused on getting to know the team, supporting the team, helping to to allow them to succeed, looking at our systems, but also putting in place a new mission and vision for the team so that we have clarity about what we're doing. And it's all based around a concept that I describe as the favorability journey, recognition, reputation, relationships, and revenue. Mm-hmm. I'll ask you about that in a moment, but a couple of things that you just mentioned there. What I quite like is that you mentioned that you're responsible for knowledge. Tell me about that. Is that is that about um, how we how you present that to to potential clients? It's a good question. So, in the legal industry and in other parts of professional services, knowledge is really important, and it tends to cover three things. It covers technical insight and standards around how you do the client service. 
in accounting industries, it would be all of the accounting policies and standards that practitioners need to be familiar with. And it's the same in the legal industry. Mm-hmm. All of the legal technical knowledge people need to have. So that's point one. Point two, it's around market and client intelligence, making sure that we know what's going on in the market, that we have macro insights, that we have micro insights about the companies particularly. Uh, And thirdly, it can also be, and this is why it really aligns to marketing and BD, around competitor intelligence, making sure you know what others in the market are doing so that you can be ahead of them in making sure that you address the needs that your client base have. Mm, No, I like that. And uh, in most other industries, we'd call that customer insight or we'd call that um, marketing intelligence. But it's Mm. I love I love that you call it knowledge. I think that's uh, that's so so perfect. Um, And you've been you've been in marketing, um, uh, you know, flicking through your LinkedIn profile and and particularly in this industry for a while. What inspired you to get into marketing in the first place? Well, that's a really good question, Ian, because actually I've taken a somewhat circuitous route. (laughs) You'd be surprised how many people do that. Oh, really? Yeah, where they've come from. Understood. Well, so, I mean, I I started as a journalist. When Mm -hmm. I was at university, what I was really interested in was politics. I was doing a politics degree, and I loved campaigning. campaigning. I loved understanding the needs of the people you were working with and, and then putting together messages and communications. I didn't really know there was a thing called marketing. So Uh journalism is where I started. I was a junior journalist Uh and then editor of a business magazine. But it quickly occurred to me, running a business magazine, that I didn't really know much about business. And (laughs) I mean, that that might sound amusing, but there are some very successful journalists who don't. But I took a view Uh that if I wanted to succeed, I needed to know the subject. So I went to business school. Right. And, you know, after a, a year doing a master's in business, I discovered this whole world of consulting. And they paid well and they had these great graduate (laughs) training schemes and they offered professional qualifications. Mm -hmm. So um, I went and joined a graduate scheme and qualified as a financial analyst, which has actually been a really great skill set from the perspective of analytics and being able to speak the language of the C-suite around finance, et cetera. But to be honest, working with spreadsheets was great, but I loved words more. I loved people Mm -hmm. more. I wanted to communicate. So I looked for a role that combined the two. And probably 17 years ago, I found my first marketing research BD role at a firm called Deloitte, a consulting firm. Yeah. And I haven't looked back, you know, taken on yeah. larger roles over the years, spent the last 13 years as a director or CMO. Mm-hmm. Very much enjoy the communication, the team leadership, but also the analytics that goes behind the creative stuff that we do. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, having that financial analyst background. And in fact, I did chat to a CMO um, near the beginning of this podcast, that came from a similar background. That they were a, they were an auditor for a, for one of the professional services firms, and realised that wasn't really for them. But they found that skill, um, particularly around finance and understanding data, was absolutely essential to them as a marketer. Yeah, look, I completely agree. Some of the most creative, inspiring marketeers I've worked with over the years, mm-hmm. who taught me a lot, are scared of numbers, are scared of data. Mm. The last thing they want to do is open up a spreadsheet and talk about return on investment and look at metrics. Mm. But the reality is if you're working in business, marketing mm. has to contribute not only to the top line but the bottom line. You need to understand yeah. what you're getting back. And that comfort and familiarity is important. And I would say to my teams and the people I work with, you may want to do creative marketing stuff with great brand ideas that move the market, but you need to understand what it's yielding, how it's providing a return to the business. So be comfortable with data, learn about data. I think that's so important today in a data-rich environment. I I love this topic because, and we talk about it quite often actually here on on Rockstar CMO, um, because 
it's how you make yourself relevant in the business as a marketer, right? So, so many times we're seeing the role of CMO being replaced by chief growth officer or, or um, chief revenue officer, and they're, they're, they're munging together the role of sales and marketing because it seems to me that marketers have stopped have focused too much on the creative and the awareness part of their job and forgotten about growth and why they're there. Yeah, I think that's an interesting observation. Uh, my philosophy is marketing, comms, business development, sales are all part of a continuum. Yeah. I look at it as four stages, recognition, reputation, relationships, and revenue. And I know in some organizations, those four areas are siloed into various different functions. Yeah. But I think it's a lot more effective when they are one when you're thinking yeah. about the whole customer journey and you are embedding that in, in how the business thinks about the market, how it looks at its services and how it actually goes out and communicates. So I think it has to be one rather yeah. than separate functions. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, uh, just a quick aside, because we can't ignore this pandemic that we're still in. I can't believe that 50 weeks into this podcast, I'm still talking about it. Um, and you've been hired in the pandemic and you're trying to do all this change with your team remotely. How's that working out for you? Yeah, it's, it's been great so far. Um, you're right. I've, I've joined a new firm not having met a single person <laughs> that I'm working with, except one of yeah. the partners who I met at a social a few years ago. Yeah. And uh, it's actually been very comfortable because like you, like many people listening to this, I've existed in this almost purely virtual world for a year now. So yeah. meeting people, building relationships, understanding needs, forming bonds virtually on Zoom, on whatever technology you're using is, yeah. is our day to day. So it's actually been fine. If anything, I've been able to get round and meet more people and have more discussions more efficiently mm-hmm. because I don't have to hop in a cab, don't have to book yeah. in a meeting room. And yeah. the other thing at the risk of, of sounding quite basic is normally when I start a new role, I do an audit, which is what I'm doing now. And I meet all of yeah. the stakeholders and I meet all of the team yeah. and I'm making pages and pages of notes. And then I have to spend a lot of time putting them yeah. into a presentation. I can do that live on screen now. As I'm yeah, having yeah. these conversations, I'm actually inputting the answers I'm receiving into a PowerPoint and everyone can see it and agree it. So yeah. it's actually more efficient and more effective than than the old world. Although I do miss the water cooler banter and <laughs> the nice fresh sandwich from prep once in a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure and and um you know, and, and you can record the Zooms and, and you know, it becomes a knowledge asset, to use your terminology um, in itself. Um, anyway, let's get to the meat of this because, um, and, and we've, I've spent too much time talking to you about your background, um, because the thing that caught my eye um, with you, Leo, when looking around the, the social webs, uh, was your convers- you, you were talking about this concept of the favorability journey. So I wanted you to just tell us a little bit about that and share that with our audience. Sure, Ian. Yeah, very happy to. So, I think a key function of marketing is to bring the outside in, to represent mm-hmm. the voice of the customer. I, I don't think that's anything new, and I think probably <laughs> everyone you've ever spoken to would say the same. But I, I think that's fundamentally important in, in how you communicate internally. So the process I use, I call the favorability journey, is about mm-hmm. identifying where the client is and building strategies. I use it in the context of the GSOT model, goals, strategies, objectives, mm-hmm. and tactics. And I found from my observations of working in a number of firms over the years that the strategy piece is often the hardest, the most controversial. If you can embed Mm -hmm. the client in that, if you can evidence that you understand where the client is and therefore everything you're doing is about advancing the client's association with the firm, then you get support. And and very briefly, Mm -hmm. I can bring the favorability 
journey to life with a, a silly little anecdote, if I may. <laughs> Perfect. Imagine lockdown has finally finished and we're <laughs> celebrating. You're going out finally to meet a client for a drink, someone that you've mm-hmm. been yearning to build a relationship with. So you go and meet them in the bar and you're a bit early and you're looking at the bottles on the shelf, mulling over what to order. Mm-hmm. The problem is there are 40 bottles on the shelf and you don't recognize the brands of a single one. There's no bartender in sight. There's no menu. How can you possibly choose from the 40 without recognition of the brand? And that's the first stage of the favorability recognition. You look very carefully and you realize that, let's say, 10 of the 40 are at least from a region you've heard of, which gives you some comfort. But 10, you know, still huge choice. What are you going to just pick one at random and hope for the best? Mm -hmm. Eventually, you pluck up courage and you walk behind the bar. There's no one there. And you look at the labels of the 10. Quite a brave choice to do in an establishment. You, know, you might get into trouble, but you're you're desperate to have a drink. So you go and look at the bottles, and you see that five of the ten have an award logo on them. Mm-hmm. Now we all know that some awards aren't worth the paper they're printed on, but mm-hmm. all things being equal, if five out of the ten have an award, it gives you a sense of their credibility, of their reputation. Yeah. So you're now at the second stage of the favorability journey, reputation. So with some comfort, you can pick potentially one from the five because, look, some independent organization has says they're not half bad. Yeah. But you're looking at these five and and you really can't decide. The bartender arrives and you have a chat to the bartender. They're obviously a very knowledgeable person. They're actually a qualified sommelier. So you feel a, Mm -hmm. a great deal of trust in them. You build a relationship with them. That's the third stage of the journey relationship. Mm -hmm. And based on that relationship, The bartender can say, look, Ian, there are two that you should choose from from these five that meet your particular palate, that your needs, et cetera. Mm -hmm. One is £25 a bottle. The other is 250 (laughs) Now, personally, I'd fall off my chair and buy the 25 quid bottle, but, you know, each their own. At that point in time, you've got to think about the client you're meeting, Mm -hmm. how much you want to impress them. You know, is the 25 quid the cheap option? Will 250 quid look gratuitous? What about anti-bribery? So a whole series of yeah. concerns. So you're at the fourth stage of the journey, revenue. Who are you going to give your revenue to? The proposition, the pitch, the pricing has to be right at that posi- you know, particular point in time. Mm-hmm. And that's the favorability journey for me, recognition, reputation, relationships, and revenue. And it's a whimsical story. Yeah. And it's probably depressing people who can't go to a bar right now. <laughs> I, I think you generally go on that journey in a bar if you didn't mm-hmm. know the brands and you wanted to buy something. Yeah. But it's yeah, fundamentally yeah. the same thing in professional services. If you don't have recognition, no one's going to give you revenue. You just have right. to understand where clients are and plot strategies to help move them along the way. Yeah, I like that. And I like that it's four hours as well. I love it when they <laughs> you can line things up like that. So, um, And I'll include a link to that, obviously, in the show notes. You'll have to let me know where people can read about that. That's, uh, that sounds excellent. And we love a, par- a bar story here. So you, you're, you're amongst friends with a story from the bar. Good to hear. Uh, how, how, have you, how have you found applying that um, in your new roles and working with folks around that? Yeah, good question. Well, look, honestly, it's my fifth director role at King T. Napoli, and it's the fifth time that I've applied this framework. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have learned over the years about how to fine-tune it and to iterate it to make sure it fits for the audience. Yeah. And I flex that story. You know, it used to yeah. be a bar with beer. Now it's a bar with wine. You've got to know your audience, <laughs> of course. Um, but it works very well because fundamentally all of the firms I've worked with understand that clients are important. They Mm -hmm. understand that they're not going to win revenue if clients don't know them, don't think they're Mm -hmm. good, haven't heard of them. So Mm -hmm. the concept, even for people who don't want to do marketing, who think marketing is, you know, a sideline, really appeals. But for me, it's not just about the silly story of the bar. It's about 
actually embedding it in the planning process, making sure yeah. that everything ties back to one of those four R's, that you see the logical connection stage to stage and that you can measure it with defined tangible metrics. Mm-hmm. And that tends to appeal really well in professional services, whether to the consultants, accountants or lawyers that I've been supporting. So yeah. it, it seems to resonate uh, and people people trust it primarily because they can imagine themselves in the bar or at least today it's yeah. thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean... Yes, we can all imagine ourselves in a bar, that's for sure. (laughs) All right, so I've got a final question uh, that regular listeners will be familiar with. Um, We have a regular feature called the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool where we chuck all the bullshit snake oil and overhyped trends and techniques from this industry we love. What would you throw into our Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool? Well, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to say silos. Splendid. <laughs> yeah, and uh, maybe I'll bring that to life with a couple of thoughts. So mm-hmm. earlier in my career, I was a marketing director in two very large professional services firms. Mm-hmm. The great things about those firms with a couple of hundred thousand staff is best-in-class capability, amazing processes, huge volumes of top-quality people, every conceivable resource you can imagine. So really mm-hmm. all the best practices in the world. But you typically end up with a situation where there'd be a function looking after brand, another one looking after communications, a third looking after marketing, a fourth looking after business development, and then the salespeople, the partners separate to that as well. Mm-hmm. So the challenge of communication of coordination was substantial. You'd even get competitive rivalry between the different mm. functional leads. They'd have different yeah. marketing orders, different emissions, and yeah. that would make execution really challenging even though you had all the infrastructure all the knowledge coordination was challenging and um i mean i found that uh, unfortunately less than effective and, and if i use another unusual analogy very briefly <laughs> yeah i mean are we going to the bar again this is completely different so <laughs> if you were to ask people today who is the foremost military in the in the world people would say the united states china's mm-hmm. on the rise obviously but the u.s and that's been the case throughout our, our lifetimes. But actually, in the late 70s and 80s, there were a number of situations where people would say the US military underperformed. And a good example of that is the conflict in Grenada. Small conflict, small island, overwhelming superiority on the part of the US, but it didn't go to plan. Why? Because of communication. Fundamentally, the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, the Marines they had different objectives, different processes, different lines of command and control, which meant communication wasn't efficient. And after that particular conflict, and after Vietnam, there was an inquest and a lot of debate in the US establishment, and President Reagan's administration pushed for a change. And it led to a restructure of the military around what they called unified combatant commands. And the concept of that is is this. It's absolutely right that people should be trained and recruited in their silos, in the army or the marines. But actually in theatre, when you go to battle, when there's a mission, you need everyone together singing from the same hymn sheet, reporting Mm -hmm. to the same person with the same objectives and lines of control. So today, when there are operations, when the forces are out on the battlefield, there's one commander. And whether Mm -hmm. you're from the marines or for the air force, you're in the same team. And that has fundamentally fixed the issues that subsisted in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And a lot of people listening to this will think, hold on, I thought this was a CMO podcast. He's talking about <laughs> But it's the same issue for me. When you have hmm. different teams yeah. heading in slightly different directions, it's disabling. So yeah. to answer your question, 
I throw silos in the bin or, you know, deep down in the pool to get rid of them and find <laughs> people to collaborate as one team, one mission, one objective. Yes, well, there you go. And I completely agree. And I think it's it's industry-wide, that particular problem. So we're, we're chucking uh, silos into the into our portal to hell via the Rockstar CMO swimming pool. So that's perfect. And uh, so finally, Leo, um, if people spin the dial on the interwebs, where will they find you? Well, I, I love LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm on LinkedIn uh, slash Leo Franks. Mm-hmm. I've even got a short URL, leo.uk. Um, wow. Yeah, I was playing about with them a few years ago, and it was 99p, so I figured, why not? <laughs> uh, all of my articles about the favorability journey, and, and hopefully mm-hmm. in time this podcast will be there for anyone who wants to listen or read. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fantastic. Thank you very much, Leo. Thanks for your time, and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks very much, Ian. Have a good day. Thank you, Leo. I've only recently virtually connected to Leo and learn about marketing in the legal and professional services industry. I love how they describe marketing insight as knowledge. And I'll include a link to his favorability journey presentation on YouTube in the show notes. Right. It's episode 50 and we're still in lockdown here at the Rockstar CMO penthouse in London. So it's that time of the week to get transported away with a cocktail and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Ah, hello, my friend. It's nice to see you here in the bar. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, have you been paying attention to this whole uh, Reddit, GameStop stock stuff? Yes, I yeah. have. And there's a, I listen to a really good podcast that talks about it quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, those two chuckleheads probably don't know what the hell they're talking about. But um, For people yeah. that don't know, I am, of course, referring to your podcast with Joe Polizzi called This That's Unboxed. right. That is correct. That is correct. So, yeah, so I'm calling tonight's uh, mm-hmm. uh, cocktail that we're going to be uh, imbibing in, The Short Squeeze. Mm-hmm. Um, because I thought that was a perfect name for a cocktail. Um, yes. And it's also, of course, what's happening right now with uh, with a number of stocks, but primarily the GameStop yeah. stock and yes. the uh, Wall Street Bets subreddit. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's really, um, it's a tequila drink, which I know we haven't had for some time on you the show. Haven't. Um, and so it's your favorite Anejo tequila. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then go long, if you see what I did there, uh, go long <laughs> with a squeeze of lemon, a squeeze of lime, and a squeeze of ginger extract. Uh, and uh, it just gives you a whole lot of Good value. Good Lord. Um, yeah. That if, as delicious. I like to say, if you're game, it'll hit the spot. Mm. So uh, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Enough with right. the puns. But that's uh, our yeah, your, that's our cocktail this week. It's a lovely, your puns lovely are drink. The, your puns are the best. I'm not sure whether I can come up with any puns or even any tequila. So um, let's see what I've got on my um, <laughs> desktop bar. I have, and Kel's surprise, um, some um, some Bombay Sapphire gin. That's all. Um, uh, I'm still sticking to the Bombay Sapphire because that's your recommendations. So that's. Uh, I, it is. I you know I'm 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 a big fan of the of, although you know it, it is it's. Is it due to the fact that Hendrix just never called us yeah, back never got and back. said, yeah. "Yeah, I'm going to fire my manager"? But Den- Dennis was keen that we would um, 
that we'd make that trade, but we never have. So I see. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to slop some of that in there, and also yeah. I've got to open that bottle of sips. There's some Irish gins that that I'm just absolutely in love with. I that you, you should try. Yeah, you mentioned one on a, on a previous show. That's right. Uh, yeah. Let's have a look. So I'm going to put some tonic in. Uh, sorry, what was it you put? Oh, you put some. Uh, yeah, we we went we went with basically lemon lime and ginger ass extract. But but you know it's it's up to you. Lemon, lime, and ginger ass. Yeah, I'm that's sure you've got like some lemon tonic. there for that. Uh... <laughs> you, you, you will be unsurprised to know that the only ingredients in my desktop bar are those that I've just used. <laughs> so, um, let me try this. Mmm. That's, that's delicious. And what did we call that, Robert? Uh, we were calling that the short squeeze um, oh, uh, to, uh, yes. to celebrate our friends doing all of the wonderful things in the stock market that they're doing. Yes. Well, I am... Um, I'm not... Sh- well, I, I could definitely drink one of these every week, so I don't know if that makes it a short or a long bet, but uh, that, that, that was absolutely marvellous. And where... While we ponder our... Um, sit on our pile of cash, because obviously we got into GameSpot really early on this, um, <laughs> where, where will we be pondering uh, the stock market, Robert? Uh, you know, I think where we have to be uh, mm-hmm. is... You know, because it reminds me so much, and I've seen so many of the memes going around of the Trading Places movie, right? Yes. Um, and, um, you know, and, and at the end of that movie, they're all sitting on a beach. Um, and, and that feels like the right spot for this, uh, yeah. this, this conversation, as well as the, the cocktail itself is. And I'm thinking probably hawaii somewhere i'm thinking Uh, you know we could be on a you know because it's the time of year it's the middle of winter it's mm. you know we we should be we should be someplace warm and sunny and and just you know slathered in 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 suntan and uh you know protection and and sitting out on a beach where the water is warm and the drinks are cold Oh, that sounds perfect. And and as the weeks go on, because we did start this whole thing 40-odd episodes ago, and we were still in lockdown, I, I think we... I mean, t- soon you're just going to say, and I'm thinking about going to... Uh, just down the road from you, Ian, <laughs> into the Cotswolds. I'll be like, yes! You mean go to the pub? Yes! Yeah, so Hawaii, exactly. is, <laughs> Hawaii is beyond my aspirations at the moment, but it sounds beautiful. And... And we will um, we will obviously recount the fun that we've had as we were reading those reddits and and and, and shorting no longing GameSpot. Well, I don't know what we were doing. I don't know anything about investing. <laughs> um, what, <laughs> clearly, what um, what we'll be chatting about? Well, you've heard the term, uh, you know. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> you know, <laughs> often in a bar with you, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, you know, but the, have you ever heard it? Has anybody ever said it to you in a like non-joking way? Like, like has anybody like really seriously said to you, do you know who I am? Uh, and, I don't think so. I'm trying to think no. if a Gartner analyst once said that, but no. It happened to me <laughs> I once. I think they were just yeah. thinking it. <laughs> yeah, it's happened to me one time. Um, wow. And it's, and it's when I lived in Washington, D.C., Mm-hmm. So it will be probably, you know, we always associate it, right, with some starlet or, you know, yeah. actor or, yeah. you know, who's entitled and, you know, and, I mean, yeah. it's usually used in that context. But this yeah. actually happened in Washington, D.C., and it was a senator. 
um, mm-hmm. who I was, and, and when my wife and I lived in Washington, D.C., there was a, yeah. uh, we were waiting in line for, to retrieve our car from a valet mm-hmm. at a hotel at an event we were at. And as we we're waiting in line to hand the ticket to the valet, um, a senator came out and mm-hmm. cut in line. And basically, you know, started waving his ticket around. And I said, you know, excuse me, there's a line. And I sort of pointed back toward the, the, the queue. And he glared at me and he literally and earnestly looked at me and said, Sonny, don't you know who I am? And I <laughs> smiled and I said, yes, I do. I just don't give up. And I probably <laughs> yeah. the word there. And that was about the point where the valet sort of sensed that there was going to be trouble and grabbed both of our tickets and ran off. And there, you know, we didn't exchange many more words of that. But what it got me thinking about mm-hmm. was there's an v- interesting corollary that I was actually having. That What brought that story up for me was I was having this conversation with someone recently um, about uh, content strategy. And there was this, I was speaking with this director of, it was this big consumer brand and, and they were basically brought in really late to most product projects and didn't have any teeth in all the things that they were doing. Right. So, you know, for example, they, they'd be brought in to, you know, hear about this new product launch and all the content they were going to create to support it. But quite frankly, it was going to launch in two weeks and they needed content like next week and uh, all the standards and guidelines that they had created for content strategy, you know, yeah. they didn't pay any attention to. And, you know... You've the, described that in one of your blog posts once, and I loved it, where you were talking to somebody, a client, and they turned into... I can't remember, they thought they were going to be doing content strategy and it just turned out that they were... They, they were an automaton. I can't remember what you described it. So I'll let, I'll let you carry... Sorry, I'll let you carry on with the story, but... Yeah, <laughs> no, that's... Well, that's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. And, they, and they said... Yeah. You know, he, he, he and, and it, what brought up the story for me was, is that the yeah. director said, you know, would relayed this story to me and then said to me, yeah. you know, don't they know who we are? And, <laughs> but he was asking it in a very different way, right? He yeah, was asking, yeah. he, he wasn't asking it in that sort of arrogant, entitled way. He was saying, yeah. don't, you know, what's the matter, right? What, what's, yeah. what's going on here? And I said, yeah. well, they may or may not know who you are. I said, but the problem is, is that they don't care either way. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, yeah. You know, if we're in a place where the content strategy team is expected to set standards for creating and managing and activating content without being empowered to actually do it, well, it's not providing any value to the business. And um, but even more detrimental, I think, Mm -hmm. is, you know, because that's a problem, right? You know that. But that's a problem that gets fixed by you looking for another job. Um, (laughs) But more detrimental is the misunderstood team my friends sort of you know challenge here which is they're good at what they do they and and theoretically empowered to do it just no one knows that they actually do it and Mm -hmm. that's something that we in content marketing and content strategy as content and marketing practitioners need to remember that the internal communications part of this is is really really important and yeah. it, it, I'll, I'll end with this because it brings up a, a, one of my clients who ended up becoming a really good friend of mine. He said something that I'll never forget. I actually want to get T-shirts of this man mm-hmm. because it's such, a, it's such a wise way of looking at it. He said, you know, in business today, it's not what you do. It's what they think you do. Wow. And, 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 yeah. it's, and it's so true because yeah. 
you can be the best at your job in marketing and yeah. content or really anything. And yeah. if they don't know who you are or care, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It just yeah. doesn't matter. It's so what we do is so collaborative these days. That's it's really what the rest of the organization believes we do, whether or not we actually do it well or not. And hopefully we do. I like you know what I like about what you just said is you could have said all of that stuff without the words care, right? And I think that's the essential element there is that often people are like trying to sell themselves or get disgruntled because people don't value them and don't understand. There is a point at which what you're doing people don't care about. And there's you can't change you know then something more fundamental than the way you are approaching the problem has got to change does that make sense yeah it's yeah. the it's the you know it's <laughs> the you know remember that classic seinfeld episode right you know it's yeah. not just taking the reservation it's actually holding <laughs> the reservation you know <laughs> I love that. You know why I love that Seinfeld episode so much is because it actually happened to me, and I could I wrote a blog post about it, and it actually happened. Yeah, I found myself, and I I can't remember that. I think I saw the episode after it actually happened to me, and I was like, oh my god, it was. Uh, yes, uh, the, I actually have faced an empty parking lot when I've had a reservation. <laughs> and, uh, yes, um, so so um, we've gone off tack a little bit. Uh, but how so what advice um what advice did you give to that agency and where where they're where they're really i mean the the problem i think is that a lot of organizations thinking the thinking campaigns don't they and they think in that that we keep talking about the hamster wheel and they're jogging along and at some point they won't need content and they 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 want a, a content factory that's going to pump into it right rather than be a strategically involved in that campaign is that the experience that they were having Yes. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, what it yeah. is, is a, it's a, it's a, you know, a lack of clarity into the team's purpose, right? Yeah. You know, because yeah. what, here's what typically happens. And I, I've seen this happen just so many times, which is a team gets formed. And to be clear, this is an internal team, right? This is an internal yeah. team at this company oh, and right. the team gets formed and everybody's excited and whiteboards are written on and, you know, <laughs> con you know, pizza is ordered and mission <laughs> statements are drawn up and everybody goes, great, our content strategy team is going to do this. One, mm -hmm. establish guidelines and, 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 you know, standards for personas and voice and tone and editorial guidelines yeah. and SEO strategies and templating strategies and UI and UX. And we're going to do all these things. Great. Number yeah. one. Number two, we're going to create content for a certain part of the business. And we're going to create this thought leadership content. And we're going to be a resource for those marketers and sales enablement people who need this content. We're going to do this. Three, we're going to provide measurement. We're going to provide measurement for the content and show how it worked. And everybody goes, yay. And everybody goes back to their cube. And what happens is people's requests for content start coming in and the content team fulfills it dutifully. And mm -hmm. there's no time for measurement in this case. And then there's no time to really comply with standards in this other case. And there's no time to do the persona work because quite frankly, we're too busy creating content. And then six months uh -huh. later, the team re-meets and it's like, well, we're doing one of those things fairly well, which is we're meeting the demands of the organization as a vending yeah. machine of content and assets for various a parts of the A vending machine. That was the term. That was the term. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Yes. 
yeah sorry carry on <laughs> yeah <laughs> so anyway yeah that's that's where it is right yeah and yeah and and so the team re-meets and goes well what are we doing and everybody goes well remember how we had three things up there we were going to establish all these guidelines we're gonna, we really don't do those two things anymore so yeah let's not do them and that's when it becomes a sad case yeah, right yeah, where yeah. Where it's where you know you you lose all of the strategy because quite frankly, yeah. all you were ever depended upon was the tactics. So the way out of that is twofold. Is one you have to have the teeth. In other words, mm-hmm. if you are going to be the standard bearer and the and and the you know yeah. the arbiter of good or the guardian yeah. of good, as as someone yeah. called it the other day, which I really liked. You know of yeah. what good how good is defined when it comes to content and the strategy behind it. Yeah. The executives have to clear that brush for you. You have to, yeah. you know, there has to be teeth behind what it is you do. The second yeah. is you have to communicate it effectively. Inter, you know, as I've said many times, 90% of content strategy has nothing to do with creating content. It right. is all about content, uh, you know, management and the, you know, the setting of internal mm-hmm. communications about how the voice of the business will be managed. Mm-hmm. And... That is, you've got to do those things. If that's what you want to do, right? If that's mm-hmm. the remit of your team, that's what you have to do in order to exercise that remit. So mm-hmm. ultimately, it's it's staying true, right? It's right. staying true to the original intention. There's a, a, a wonderful, uh, I wrote about this a long time ago. There's a, 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 a phrase um, called the commander's intent from the mm-hmm. army. Um, and the commander's intent comes from classic uh, Roman army. And the way yeah. it worked was the Roman general, uh, after conquering some city or some area, would take one of his lieutenants and make them the mayor or the governor of the city or the region, right? Yeah. And would issue what's called the commander's intent, which basically was a documented sort of set of you know, this is how to react to X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. And this is the way you will, you know, and it was basically very broad, but it gave the commander, the guy who was going to be left in charge, enough of an understanding to say, this is what was intended by my boss, basically. And they had every power and the teeth to execute those commands. And that's the real key. And the success or failure of the, the local governor to, to, to implement that was basically the, you know, because they were going to be gone, right? The boss was going to yeah, be gone, yeah. right? You know, yeah. on to conquer another city and on or back to Rome and leave this yeah. person there for years. And so yeah. in order to execute well, they had to have a very documented and clear strategy. And that was what commander's intent is. And that's what we need with our content teams is a is a good yeah. commander's intent well you need a good commander but well that's right. Things, right but but yeah but, but you need yeah. you you need the backup to be able to to yeah. to to actually implement yeah. and have people you know the, the word comply is not the word right word but to buy yeah. into 
yeah. the you know the new the new strategy as well because content is the one thing in the business that is so easy to get lax on right because yeah. eh, it's just a blog post or it's eh, it's just yeah. one campaign or it's eh, it's just yeah. one you know <laughs> it becomes like the Monty Python bit right it's wafer thin you know and you know <laughs> all of a sudden you're exploding yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, and the uh, yeah, that's true. Just one wafer thin mincer. Uh, yes, <laughs> so I I love this point, and um, I yes, I the um, and I've been in many situations that uh, reflect on what you've just described, um, and that that content just becomes um, a fulfillment piece within within. We've got to do the pro- pro- blog post, or we've got to do this because it says so on our campaign plan. And um, and not not a lot of care and thought goes into it, and the, and the whole content strategy is um, is blown away by all of that stuff. So that's really interesting. And and then how do we get there? And then, and the commander's intent, absolutely. So have you? So you you said you've written about this. Where might people find those writings, Mr. Rose? Oh well, they would find them at my little cave here in the internet <laughs> called contentadvisory.net is where we do all our little blogging and and um, put up content um, and uh, yeah and put our own commander's intent up as yes it were. And, yeah. and and um, and if they were to spin the dial on the interwebs where would they find you apart from there all the usual places of course my friend yes. you know whether it be LinkedIn or Twitter those are the two main places where I'm doing anything talking about business other than, um, yes. you know, sharing pictures of sunsets and tequila. Ah, <laughs> oh, they're great sunsets. And, and honestly, the, your, your, your pictures of cocktails make, make a man thirsty on a Friday. That's for sure. And, um, <laughs> well, that's the idea. And, and, and will people find you in Clubhouse as well? We talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the moment, yes, I'm there. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, I'm experimenting. I am trying it like I would any good vegetable. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm finding it's like, a, it's like an always on sales conference that you haven't got time to go to or not sales conference, just conference that you haven't got time to go to. If you go to a I, conference, you've put time out in your diary to go there. And I just feel like there's all this stuff going by and I, <laughs> I can't schedule the right time to listen to it. There will ind- I have no doubt that there will actually be a conference on Clubhouse at some point in the near future. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great idea for some, some listener to set that up. And you should invite us because we've plenty to say on the topic. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Robert. And will I find you in the bar next week? I am certain you will. Oh, very good. Well, enjoy the rest of your evening, my friend. And I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. A second reference to marketing, learning from military leaders and a content strategy is not so much about creating content. Splendid advice as usual. So that's a wrap on episode 50 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Jeff, Leo and Robert. Please check out their links in the show notes that you can find at rockstarcmo.fm. Please click them, follow them, take a look at their work and share it. I really appreciate their time. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Hope you enjoyed this show. What do you think? 
does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Please let me know. Leave a review either at rockstarcmo.fm or on your favorite podcasting platform. Subscribe, share, get in touch, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff and I will pick a new topic and decide if it's a one-hit wonder or wonderwall. Robert Rose will be back in our virtual Rockstar CMO bar, and I'm lining up an excellent guest for next week's show. Until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, and I hope you'll again join us here next week at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.